Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. So today, uh, now since I am pastor of Waymakers, our service goes from 9 till 10, and I usually walk in here about, oh man, sometimes it's 11.15 by the time I get here, so I'm not really as entirely sure how things go on the front end here sometimes. But um, uh, today we're going to be talking, I, I believe I'm the last speaker in the series of the Kingdom Story. Now, uh, I, I've heard the back half of almost every one of the sermons, except then I was on vacation two weeks, so I don't really know much about what's been said before other than the little bits I've got on YouTube. And I did get on YouTube the other day, and I'm like, what's that last slide look like? What's David say at the end? Is it a challenge, an opportunity? Uh, what do we call that thing at the end? And I, I can't remember what we call that thing at the end. I got, it on, I got it on my slide. What do we call that? The invitation. Yes, non-judgmental, no pressure. Invitation. Hey, if you want it. So today we're going to be talking about Romans 10, 9 through 15. Now, I have some introductory remarks. Um, and now, anytime I have introductory remarks, I think about my theological training, which said, hey, don't really do that too much, right? And so I tend to be more uh, expert position type, uh, expository type sermons. That's one of the ways I was trained. And I'm like, I just like to just put that passage up and just go, here we go, blam. So speaking of my theological education, I did go to a very prestigious Bible college that was so prestigious that it is now closed because there not enough people went there. And so I got that going for me. I learned a lot of things some of which I've spent some time unlearning and reframing, some of which I've kept and polished up and reorganized. It's like a Lego set when you go to Bible college. You're like, what's this for? You know, is that a window or a cockpit? And, 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 and so, uh, you know, that, that was very meaningful to me, so meaningful that I left the church for seven years and tried to ab abandon the whole thing and, uh, because I was dissatisfied with some of my experiences there. And I was caught deeply in sin. There's also that. And uh, Jesus pulled me back in. He pulled me back in. Then I go to seminary, and I'm still carrying all this baggage, and I still got some of that theology, but it's all kind of mixed up. And so my, I, went to, I went to this for a year in 1988, and I met some great people that were going to become really pivotal in my life. And I, I know I was a terrible burden on them because I was still sorting out my theology. And uh, I spent a lot of time in classes asking really stupid questions. I was that guy. Like, everybody else was on the same page, and I'm like, if I may, you know. <laughs> It's embarrassing to think about now, but you know, the Lord led me through that, and I learned a lot there. I left for a while. I went back when I was a little older, and so I, I'm proud to say that in my uh, whole career, up until that last moment, I was about a solid C-minus student. So at seminary, I was actually on academic probation because I had come there from a, a non-accredited school, and, and I barely got in. I, whenever I completed Bible college, I had three hours left to do because I hadn't taken U.S. History too, which I don't even know why we were doing U.S. History. And I thought, oh, no big deal. I'll get that later. So I wait seven years, and then I decide I want to go to seminary, and they're like, well, you can't come. You never graduated. I'm like, oh, yes, U.S. History too, which I did at Forest Park Community College, and that was an adventure of <laughs> epic proportions. And I'll tell you about that sometime if you'd like. So, so... I've been kind of a hot mess a lot of my life, and you know, a lot of what I do is designed to protect that and conceal that and cover that. I have a lot of personal problems, and one of the things I like to do is kind of tear things down, right, and push people away. So 
I might do that a little bit today because uh, I got some things that, that uh, I, got, I got some wounds and brokenness that I don't just reveal to everybody, right? So if you want to know that, it costs you the price of a cup of coffee. And so, and, but here's the important thing. If you have any theological questions or anything, anything you want to talk about, it used to be the price of a cup of coffee, but now I am a member of the prestigious St. Louis Bread Company Sip Club. Yes, yeah. I applied and they accepted my application. And so now for $12.99 a month, I can drink as much coffee and fountain drinks as I want. So if you want to meet with me, that's okay. And so today, we're, we're going to tackle Romans 10, 9, 15. And I wrote at the bottom, you got to title something. You know, titles are always tricky. And I always do the title before I fully thought about it. And then afterwards, I look at the title after I've done all the preparation. I'm like, am I talking about what I'm supposed to talk about? And sometimes there's like a little crisis on Saturday night. But... What we're talking about today is part of the kingdom. The kingdom is open to all. Now, if you've messed around with theology a lot, either just by going to a church or having extensive and fairly unsuccessful theological training like myself. By the way, I never graduated from seminary. That's another story. I'm a seminary dropout. I like saying that. But there's some kind of basic questions in the faith that come up a lot, you know? And I don't mean just from within our communities, because some of these are dark things we don't like to talk about, but our friends talk about this, and our detractors talk about this. We question a lot about our faith. People question a lot about our faith. Things like, is God really good? Does God really care? Why doesn't God stop all this evil and pain? You know, there's deep questions, and one of the deep questions is, is the kingdom really open to everyone? Everyone? And the answer to that is, Yes. Yes, it is. And I know for some of you that have um, uh, been, come from a variety of theological backgrounds or theological training, maybe other things pop in your mind. You're like, well, yes, there's the general invitation and the general calling, but what about effectual calling? And what about when Jesus says, many are called, but few are chosen? What about the reform position? What about election? What about God's foreknowledge? Is foreknown also foreordained? It's really easy to get caught in a deep, deep morass of complication. And I, frankly, I love that. I love talking about that stuff. That's another coffee invitation. I love talking about that because I've worked through a lot of this coming from a kind of dispensationalist background, you know, to a reform background. I've worked through a lot and I'm still working through a lot and stuff I believe firmly today. You know what? In 20 years, I might go, wow, I was off on that one. But as we grow and as we learn, the one thing we want to make sure of is we're not off on the core values of the church. And that's one of the reasons I like the vineyard. We, we, we leave a little of that for you to figure out but we got to have that solid core. And that solid core consists of uh, who God is, who Jesus is, the resurrection, and that he loves us. And he's making a genuine offer to all of us to be his followers, to enter into his kingdom. And that means something. That means a lot. And so if you have theological concerns and tangles, that's okay. You just kind of set them aside because one of the things I've learned, if I've learned anything at all, is I've gone deeper and deeper into certain theological areas and, and, and had some answers and some questions, but I keep gravitating back to the simple truths, the simple truths, the core things. And you know, at Waymakers, we're an interdenominational ministry, and it's a missional church for the disabled, the poor, and the elderly in South St. Louis City in Gravois Park, and we are truly trying to be interdenominational so that we can reach the people with those needs, primarily the disabled. So we have to be really clear on what we believe, 
but not get too tangled up in the things that people disagree about. And so this question today is, is God making a genuine call to all men that his kingdom is open to them? And I believe that that is true. So if you're uh, tangled up in that and you, you have questions, and I do too, you know, I, I hear that and I have verses pop in my head and I go, what do those mean? Like, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What does that mean? You know, I have my own answers, but I understand sometimes this is more complicated. But we do believe that there's a genuine offer to all to join God's kingdom. And that takes a certain type of faith. That takes a childlike faith. We've got to accept our limitations, understand we don't ever understand everything, and some things are going to be a mystery to us, perhaps for our whole life. Some things may seem paradoxical to us, and perhaps they truly are, because we've got to remember we're finite. We're here in this part of the kingdom. We've talked about the already and not yet, that overlap of the kingdom. The kingdom has started. We're living in the kingdom, but it's still not here. We're waiting for that day when Jesus returns, one of those doctrines that we can't be flexible on at, at Waymakers or here. Jesus is coming back. That means something. That means something. He's coming back for us, for all of us that are in his kingdom. And so until that day happens, until we see him face to face, when we see him, we'll be like him. And that doesn't mean we'll just have a glorified body. Mine's pretty glorious already. But if not only a glorified body, but we're going to have the scales fall from our eyes. There's, I, I just can't even imagine what that moment is like when we see him and we're like, oh, now I get it. Now I get it. Now I understand. And that, a lot of difficult passages for me become less difficult when I think like that because I'm like, okay, people are falling down and just worshiping them through like a thousand years and casting their crown down. That's some pretty powerful imagery. And you can take that literally, figuratively, however you want. I don't care about that. But I'm like, what, what would make a person do that? And I'm like, seeing him, seeing him. And I can't conceive of that now. I can't but I know it's true, and I'm banking on it being true, and I have to live my life knowing that it's true, that there's things that I just have to trust him about and know that he's giving me what I need right now for everything, for godliness and life and faith, accept my limitations and know that he's going to reveal all this. And so when we don't do that and we get caught up in these tangles, you know, on something as simple as, is the kingdom open to all? We get all these tangles, these theological things. We start talking to each other, debating, reading books, going through systematic theologies. I have, I have, I think, four different systematic theologies in my extensive theological library of hundreds of books, dozens of which I've read. Uh, <laughs> I have them from all different perspectives. It's fun to get them out and compare them and go, you know what, that's a good point. And then you're like, oh, man, I just violated a tenet of my own theology by saying that's a good point. Oh, what am I going to do now? You know, that, that's kind of fun. Don't you think that's fun? <laughs> that's better than watching sports, I think. So if we lose focus and we start talking to each other about our differences, we've fallen into a trap. Because the whole point of this, the kingdom is open to all, and this passage is, it's open to all, not just to join, but to participate, to participate. And so much about today is, we're all part of that, of carrying that message. Receiving that message is incomplete. Carrying that is it in full fruition. And so I, I've, I've fallen into these traps before. And not only can we fall into these traps, we can ourselves become the trap. I remember a while back I was, a, I was a teaching 
at a Bible study at, at my pastor's house a couple of pastors ago, and uh, back 30 years, and we were doing the book of Galatians, right? And we had both come from seminary, and I was reading Martin Luther's um, commentary on the Galatians, because at the seminary they had said that that's what launched the Reformation, Martin Luther reading Galatians, so I'm like, wow. So I read it like 40 times, and I started reading this commentary, and I was real jazzed about it. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really learning some stuff here. This is really helping me understand God's grace and mercy. And, and my pastor said, hey, there's this guy. There's this guy. He's going to be in the group, and he's going to question this passage we're covering, right? So there was a part. There was one of those sticky points in that passage that we were covering that he was going to object to and ask questions like, in, 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 not a, in, in a disingenuous way. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'll be ready for this. So we're about three verses from the passage, and he, if I may. <laughs> and he jumps to it, and he's like, you know, because we're talking about God's grace and how lavish it is and how unbelievable it is. And, he, and he's like trying to walk that back, you know. Well, let's, 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 let's go slow here. And then he said, I don't want to commit intellectual suicide. I'm like, intellectual suicide, wow. It's like, I like that phrase. In fact, I've used that phrase since. And I was like, oh, that's a powerful phrase. And then I was like, man, he's been thinking about that one for a while, right? He doesn't want to just fully accept this whole doctrine of God's grace and that it's so lavish and wonderful and a free gift. He's calling it possibly intellectual suicide. I'm like, man, when I think about that word and how he savored that, you ever, anybody eat hard candy? You know, there's really good hard candy and then there's hard candy that's a little substandard, right? There's something that's very substandard. But you ever get that really good piece, right? And not only is it flavor, it's, it's the size and the shape. And there's no imprint on it for you to feel on your tongue where you have to flip it over to the smooth side, right? You ever get that perfect piece of hard candy and you get it just in that and it perfectly fits your tongue and the saliva is just the right amount it's flowing and you're like, now this is what hard candy should be like. That's, that's how that dude felt when he's talking about intellectual suicide. He had, he had that in his mouth, and he was, he was savoring it. And, and we worked through that to some extent, to say we can. But I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to argue about doctrines. I don't want to accentuate the differences between churches. I don't want to uh, you know, talk about endless genealogies like Paul warns us about. I want to talk about Christ and him crucified. And more importantly, I want to talk about the people that need that, that don't care one bit about all this. That's practical theology. Practical theology is caring for widows and, and orphans and showing the love of God to everybody as Jesus did. Jesus, think about who he talked to. Samaritans, prostitutes, outcasts, lepers, criminals, the thief on the cross, my favorite convert of all time. Jesus lived that. We sometimes don't do so well, and our sinful nature can cause that as well, because we as human beings, we, we are self-protective. I'm self-protective. I want to cover my weaknesses, and, and yeah, we, we do that. But sometimes we gather in groups, and we pick out enemies, and, and uh, Caleb, I think it was coined a word or used a word related to this, tribalism. Did you use the word tribalism? Maybe in an email? Tribalism, that's a great word. These are my people. Those are the other people. Well, maybe we're allies. Maybe we're enemies. There's no place for that in, in, in the Christian world, no place for that. So when we feel threatened and put upon, yeah, man, it's, it's just death to this. The kingdom is open to all. And so as we talk about this, one of the things we're going to hit is, you know, we're so much a part of us, and we, had to, we have to crucify those things in us that cause us to be judgmental and pull away from others and think, well, 
yeah, that guy, I, I really hope I can... Here, let's pull up some old ch- Christian doctrine or jargon that I'm, it's not my favorite. Maybe we can win him for the Lord. I used to call that taking scalps, you know, <laughs> which I thought was funny. I still think it's funny. But, um, but that's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. It's about living a life of compassion like Jesus when he looked at the crowd. He's moved with compassion because of their needs. That's how we need to be. And we don't point to ourselves. We point to him. We don't point to this church. We point to him. I don't care which church they come to. If we lead someone to the Lord or help someone understand uh, that they need him, uh, we don't have to bring them to this church, right? We just want them to connect with the body in a way that's really important to them and brings them life. So after my extensive introductory remarks that I was warned against in homiletics classes numerous times, let's look at some scriptures. We're going to go through some things pretty fast. So just I'm just going to throw up some scriptures you may know we're just talking about how the kingdom is open to all. Now, there's so many scriptures. I'm just picking out some. Jesus, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Pretty simple statement. Revelation 22:17. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. I think that's interesting, isn't it? I did, that, that had kind of escaped me until I was looking at it for this teaching. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Could you imagine a more open invitation than that? John 3.16, we're so used to looking at, and we don't even need to put it up, but the word I want to draw your attention to is the world, the world, right? That's a big part of that. God loves the whole world. Here's Jesus again. I have come into the world as a light so that no one, who believes. No one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Belief. That's where we're trying to see people arrive at. uh, Belief. And so an important aspect of whether God's call is open and genuine is what about the people that reject him? Because we know some people will. Just picked out a few scriptures. I love this one. Ezekiel 33, 11. Here's God talking to Ezekiel. He's saying, say to them, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That is so counter to some thinking that's in our world today, that we have a brutal, hateful God, a God that doesn't care, a God that let orphans die, a God that lets famine sweep Africa, right? A God that lets you suffer. He doesn't take pleasure in spiritual death. He doesn't take pleasure in our, sur- in our, in our sorrows and our pains. I take no pleasure in the death of wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? He's saying, come, come. This is uh, Paul, 1 Timothy. It's truncated because at the beginning it just says, uh, says God who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what God wants. And then Peter, Peter who sat at Jesus' feet, who talked to him personally, who sat under his tutelage. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Anyone everyone. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they? And so God gave us free will. We talk about that a lot. It's not something I really want to delve into, 
but not everyone will choose to follow Jesus. And so this makes an important point when we think about God being slow to act and we think about the suffering in the world. This is something I talk about at Waymakers a lot because there's a lot of suffering there, and there's a lot of suffering here. Suffering is something we all go through. And my grid for it that helps me understand it and do it is, 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 is uh, embodied in this passage. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. What does it take for him to be patient with you or with your children or with your friends or your family? He waits. He waits, right? He waits. Some of us, he waits for a long time. For my father to come back around to the Lord, he waited 60 years. God was patient with him. And while that was going on, there were wars, famines, earthquakes, riots, diseases, suffering, cancer, all those things were going on in the world while he waited patiently for my dad and lots of other people. So when we think about our enduring of suffering as waiting for the Lord to finish his work and bringing many sons to glory, that helps me. And when you ask somebody specifically, hey, would you endure 20 years of suffering if you knew your children would come to the Lord? They would say, yeah, yeah. So the Lord is building his family. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but come to repentance. And so now I just want to read the passage in its entirety uh, from Romans. Just a couple of introductory remarks. Romans is an extremely complex book. And I am not uh, a Romans expert by any means. In fact, um, uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's very, you know, Paul wrote it at the end of his ministry. It's kind of the pinnacle of his life and thought as he grew in the Holy Spirit. And um, so just a couple of remarks about it. Um, if you have trouble penetrating Romans, read Galatians a few times. Galatians is kind of the, uh, the forethought of Romans. I don't want to put it quite that way. I, don't, I never, haven't thought about this enough to come up with a good word. But Galatians and Romans are very closely related. And in fact, my very first foray into theological training was a, was a class I took here in St. Louis in a church basement that was done by the college and extension school of the college we were going to do, which basically doing the correspondence course with a professor there was Galatians and Romans, me and a couple of old pastors. And that was, that was kind of crazy. I remember one of the pastors there, I learned something about how to treat people there, though, that I've never forgotten. There was one pastor there who was clearly not very educated. I'm 18. I'm, I'm a doofus, right? But this guy... He was an older guy, and he had this Bible, man, this thing. You see these guys with Bibles, and you're like, oh, that dude read that Bible a lot. It's all curled and worn, and it's just like flows. Now, I never had a Bible like that. All I did have one Bible like that. I used to be a, have a job as a night watchman. I would, when I first became a Christian, I'd take my Bible, and one time I had this old King James Bible. Well, it wasn't old. It was new. But when I was getting out of the car, I dropped it, and it fell into the snow, I mean, like five inches of snow, and I was like, oh, my Bible. And I got in there, and I'm like drying it off and all that. But then the next day, I was like, man, it looks like I've read this for like five years. <laughs> like, I wonder if people do this. <laughs> so there was a guy in there, he had, and, 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 and I saw people marking their Bible. I'm like, ooh, I like that. You know, so you'd been on this quest, you know, for the mark, for the marker that wouldn't bleed through to the backside, right? I got to, well, what about the ink? Oh, then the ink, it puddled there. Now there's, it's on the backside. That drove me crazy. So use colored pencils and stuff. I had my own thing. But this dude, man, he had, I don't know if he had a system. He had all these colors. And every, I, I kid you not, like everything was marked. And I'm looking at that. I'm just a punk kid, right? I'm looking at this old, I'm like, 
what's that even mean? When you mark everything, what are you looking at, right? Is it color-coded? And, and then there was another guy in there who came for a visit. And man, I learned so much. Just, you know, those little moments where you learn so much. And, and this guy, and he was, he, was, he was not a super smart guy. And you don't have to be super smart to love the Lord and be a, be a champion for God. And I'm sure this guy was. But one time we got talking about talking about drugs and he talked about people shooting marijuana. I'm like, how do you shoot marijuana? I mean, maybe we'll, maybe we'll develop that technology someday. But he wasn't, he wasn't a super worldly guy. And I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of cool. He's so detached from the world. He doesn't even know how marijuana works. And I'm like, that's cool. That's cool. And so one day this guy came in and he's showing him his Bible. And I'm like, oh, wow. And I was so impressed with that other guy. He goes, and there was two, two guys visiting. And he's like, oh, look how this brother has studied the scripture. And I was like, yeah, that's tight. I like that. He honored that guy, you know? And I was like, oh, I probably shouldn't have been so judgy. So I think about that Bible sometimes. So anyway, I don't know why I told you all that, but let's just read through the passage here. Romans 10, 9 through 15. This is dynamite. Oh, yeah, Romans. If you want to delve into Romans, I would really suggest getting, a, getting an outline, getting a structure. And so uh, I love the Bible Project for this. You may love them, hate them, be indifferent. But, but their outlines are pretty good. And so I actually looked at the uh, video uh, for, for Romans, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. And so, um, so for our purposes today, though, nine, the chapters 9 through 11 kind of form a unit. And it would be great if we had the time to just kind of go through that whole thing and really give you the context. Context is so important. But 9 through 11 is about the Gentiles and God's final plan for, for the Jews and how the Gentiles are grafted in. It's really, really an important section of Scripture. And so this is kind of smack dab in the middle of it. So if you want to uh, delve further, do, do think about that a little. So, <clears throat> so Romans 10, 9 through 15. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Just think how many times it says all and every and everyone. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? I'm sure you've heard that verse before, key verse in Scripture. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So just a like so much of Romans, just beautiful, beautiful passages. So now let's just kind of backtrack and, and go through this a little bit. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. So it starts with, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, will be. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. This is so simple. It's so simple that people often can't accept it. My poor mother, she was raised in a very... My mom had some disabilities herself. She wasn't, and this always sounds insulting, but her intellectual capacity was fairly low. There were basic things that she could never learn to do, which is okay. And, um, but she had been brought up in a pretty brutal theology, very legalistic, and once you become a Christian, you better 
walk that straight and narrow line. My, one of the, probably the phrase my mom said most related to the, to the gospel and to her faith was, it just pays to be ready. It just pays to be ready. So every day my mom felt like she was hanging by a thread. You can't have unconfessed sin. You, you know, God, Jesus will forgive everything, but you got to remember you did it. You got to repent. If you don't repent, if you don't ask. So it's like, don't get caught at the wrong moment, right? Don't sin right as he splits the eastern sky. And I'm not, I'm not and it sounds funny, but, and a, but, but it is funny in a way, but in another way, it's horrifying. And I was brought up that way, and I lived under that tyranny and those, that, those chains for a long time. Ugh, I do not recommend it. So I remember talking to my mom about this. I'm like, Mom, this is everything, everything. And she never understood, but I remember the day she understood, and Paul confirms this in the way he talks about the gospel in Corinthians. I think it's in Corinthians. We're sitting on the parking lot of Walmart. We've been talking as I drive her to Walmart. She loved Walmart. I mean, what's not to love? She's an old lady. <laughs> and, and had done a whole career at Kmart as the door greeter. Some of you probably met. Anybody been to the St. Louis Marketplace Kmart on Manchester? You probably saw my mom. Yep. We'll talk later. Margaret. This tall? Super sweet? Um, what was I talking about? <laughs> oh, in the, in the parking lot, we talked the whole way, and, and me and my heart leapt when she said this, but I also went into deep, deep sadness because I, I explained God's grace and mercy and love every way I could, and she said the words you want to hear when you let people know how glorious and generous and forgiving our Lord is. She goes, it sounds too good to be true. I'm like, finally, you got it. You got it. But she still couldn't hang on to that. She couldn't. And if you don't think, this is too good to be true, how could he forgive everything I've ever done just by me following him? I don't have to pay any of this back. He did everything. If you don't get to that point, man, there's a little more work to do. A little more work to do. So it's that simple. And the central point is very clearly... Um, articulated here. Confess with your mouth because you've believed in your heart. You've came to know it's true. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not because some dude stood up here or you did some Bible study with whomever knocks on your door. Don't, don't do the Jehovah's Witness ones. They're kind of a drag in the end. They seem fun at first, but... I mean, I like what they show about the new earth. It's like, there's people for all races, and there's all these animals, and there's peonies and marigolds. And I'm like, that's awesome. It's like having a Bible study at the botanical garden. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like a Benenton ad if they still have those. But it gets to the point. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now there's more to believe than that, but that's the pinnacle. That's the point. That's God's final revelation, the final demonstration of his power. That's where the power comes from. He tasted death so that we don't have to, right? We'll, we'll taste physical death, but not eternal death. And that first couple parts is really interesting. If you read much of Proverbs, you know, Paul employs kind of a methodology that's very common in the process. In the Proverbs, where he uses kind of a reverse, um, there's a word for it, and I can't remember it. So look what he says. He says, declare with your mouth, believe in your heart. And the next one is, with your heart, you're justified with a mouth, you profess. So it's like mouth, heart, heart, mouth. That's a structure they use in Hebrew poetry, and that's just a little, little tidbit of, what do they call those Easter eggs? Although that's probably not appropriate for church. What can we call them? We've got to come up with another name, because Easter means something more important to us. But... Um, 
you know, his readers would have got that. His Jewish readers were like, oh, yeah, that's like, oh, yeah, yeah. That's a way to emphasize, a way to point it out. You say it twice, but you say it twice in this really cool, poetic way. And so it's wrong to, like, kind of parse that apart and go, well, he, you know, the apostle used justified there, and the before he used saved. That's not really the point here. It's, it's saying one thing. And then he says, the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, Verses 9 through 11 are drenched with the Old Testament, absolutely drenched. In, verses, in chapters 9 through 11, there's 32 quotes from the Old Testament. And this is one. This is from Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, this is what God says, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a pressure cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. The one who believes in it will not be disturbed. So you see what Paul did there. His says, never be put to shame. But, you know, there's a lot of important things to remember about how the apostles used the Old Testament. It's a fascinating study. If you've got a study Bible, one of the best things you can do is start looking those up. And sometimes you're going to go, hey, wait a minute, that's not exactly what it said. Don't be dismayed. Part of that is a lot of the apostles were working from the Septuagint, which is a Greek version, Greek translation of the Hebrew, and it's a little different. And sometimes they paraphrase, and sometimes they even put two together, and sometimes they don't even remember who they're citing. They're just like, someone once said, I love that stuff, and that's all really interesting to me and perhaps not of any interest to you at all. But, uh, but this is where he's quoting from. And so whenever, anytime I think about apostles, disciples quoting the Old Testament, I think about something Jesus said. This is after his resurrection. Look at what he said here. He said to them, this is, he's meeting with them after his resurrection. This is what I told you while I was still with you before I died. You remember that, right? Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And we know while Jesus was doing his ministry, remember that one time he's in the synagogue and he pulls the scroll down and goes, this is about me, you know. I'm like, whoa, that's, uh, he doesn't say it that way, but that's what he says. And those that had ears to hear it heard it, and those that didn't like, what's the deal with this? He's like, today it's fulfilled in your hearing. Who's he talking about? He's saying, um, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. That's one of the most powerful verses to me at all. He did it for them. He can do it for us too, right? And so when we read the later writings of the apostles, remember, he opened their minds to understand it. He went through this stuff for him. He says, this was written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So it's really, really important to understand the Old Testament uh, underpinnings of everything. You know, it's easy for us just to become New Testament people, but we become New Testament people, we miss out on so much richness and background. So back to our passage in Roman. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, all. Richly blesses all who call on him. Paul just keeps hitting it. All, all, everyone, all, all. And here he's talking about there's no, no difference. Remember what I said about Romans 10 through 12? A big part of this was about the ingrafting of the Gentiles, bringing people together. There is no difference. Same Lord. And that's challenging. Remember, this is written to the Romans. Now, this is going to get passed around and circulate through the New World and end up at the Bible here that we're reading in St. Louis 2,000 years later. But Rome was militarily occupying the Jewish land. And just a few years later, they're going to besiege Jerusalem and, and level it to the ground, just as Jesus predicted. So when you talk about being reconciled with Jews and Romans, that's a big deal. Not to mention, 
Samaritans, and all the tribes of Israel that were carried away and had become culturally almost unrecognizable. Jews in Babylon and North Africa. They were as far away as Spain. So Jesus is very interested in unity. And I, oh, this is one of my hobby horses. I know I've said this a bunch of times here. When Jesus prays, John 17, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. Remember this part where he prays for the disciples. Then he prays for us? Are you one of the ones who's believed? Jesus prayed for you. That, that blows my mind. He prayed for you. And here's what he prayed. You know, when you think, oh man, if somebody said, did you know Jesus prayed for you? Wow, what did he say? What do you think he said? Is this what you would say? Is this the first thing that would come to your mind? Not me. Pray that they may be one, Father. One. What does that mean? I'm trying to figure that out. Coffee, let's figure it out together. I'm trying to figure that out, but I have some ideas and I know some of the things it includes, but I don't know if I know what that looks like. I don't know if they have that in our country. I don't know if we have that in our world. I don't know if we can have that. I don't know if that's an eschatological thing that we got to look forward to, more of the coming of the kingdom in its fullness, but I want more of that here, more of that now. They may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Why does he want us to be one? So the world will believe he was sent. That's pretty important that we figure out how to be one, isn't it? And back to Waymakers, I mean, since we're in an denominational, I've been pastoring there for 12 years, it's like, now I'm forced to think that way. I wasn't really thinking that way before. I'm like, how do you be interdenominational? Where do you draw the line? What do you give up? Where's your, where's your hard lines? Where's your soft lines? What do you flex on? What don't you flex on? I'm thinking about this a whole, whole lot, a whole lot. Back to Romans. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, it may seem like Paul's just saying the same thing again as well, but this is also an Old Testament passage and one that's super important to us, the whole church, us to Vineyard. This is one of our treasured passages, isn't it? Don't you think? Or is it just me? Oh, I'm feeling a little awkward now. Joel. 228 through 32, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Joel's talking about a future age, and depending on your theology, we live in that age, right? It's here, but it's not here in fullness. The spirit has been poured out because Jesus said, it's better that I go away. Let me send the spirit. We had the day of Pentecost. His spirit was poured out. In the Old Testament, the spirit's visiting. Hey, Samson, go knock that building down. Spirit comes, spirit leaves. Now it abides with us. And it started with Jesus when it said the spirit rested on him and remained, and that he had the spirit without measure. What would that do to us? I don't think I, I would probably explode. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> and after I'll pour my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, which if I had time, I would tell you about my dream two nights ago when I was an American prisoner of war on a Japanese battleship that was under attack by American ships and they put me in a machine gun and I wouldn't shoot back because they were own guys and our ship got sunk and I sank into the ocean but somebody saved me while I was gasping for breath. Does that mean anything? <laughs> Is that what he's talking about? It was the Congo, by the way, if you're a Civil War buff, uh, World War II buff. Your old men will dream dreams. I am old. Your young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women. That's important. I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show, now here's, here's where we're getting into the future a little more. I will show wonders in the heavens on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. 
the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of that great and dreadful day of the Lord. And then we get to what Paul just said. And everyone who calls on the name will be saved. Do you think the people that were hearing this and reading this letter that were of Jewish background didn't know this? Of course they knew this. This statement's full, full of eschatological import. This is about the new age, the age where the Spirit has come and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is such an important passage. And if you don't recall, Peter um, quoted this passage on the day of Pentecost. So I'm not, I kind of lost track of time, but if I could, I'd like the worship team to come up. We're going to land this thing. So I want to look at Romans 10, 14, 15. This is, this is, this is an important part. So obviously we've just hammered away, hammered away. Open to all, salvation by faith. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, boom. Welcome to the family, the eternal, never-ending family of God, the kingdom of God. Here Paul talks a little more about the nuts and bolts. How then can they call on the one they have not believed? And how they can believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, I've seen this passage used as a weapon to try and get people out of their pews, right? Dumb, dumb. The important part is the last part, which we'll talk about in a second. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Look at this passage in reverse. This is us. How can anyone preach unless they're sent? Who are the sent ones? Is anyone here not sent? Is anyone here? Yeah, I signed up for uh, Jesus Light. It doesn't exactly, it doesn't include reaching out. I'm just, you know, kind of here for my own thing. Uh, it's on my blog. You can read it or my vlog or my YouTube channel. No, no. Who's sent? All of us. All of us. It's part and parcel of the thing. That doesn't mean we all do the same thing. That doesn't mean we all quit our jobs and go to Thailand or Myanmar, I could name a bunch of countries if you want. <laughs> Lesotho. But it means we go somewhere. It means we're sent. We are part of the kingdom. So he's saying, how can anyone, how can the message be preached unless someone's sent? And how can they hear unless someone preaches? It means you have to preach. Now, that word's a funny word and it means different things in our culture, but that's not the sum and total of it. And how can they hear unless somebody does that? And how can they believe unless they hear? And, you know, we hear a lot of things about God and Jesus, but it's important that people get communicated the core message, as Vineyard says, the main and plain. The main and plain. The kingdom is here. Jesus laid down his life for us. He rose from the dead. Confess and believe. Believe and confess. And how can they call out to him unless they believed? And that's the point they have to get to, where they call out, because as we've been talking about, everyone who calls out to the Lord will be saved. Everyone. No preconditions, no cultural barriers, no sin that's unforgivable, no introductory class, no hurdles, no. It's really understanding and believing and calling out to him. And people can get stuck in this process. They may never hear. They can believe these truths. There are people out there that believe these truths. I have a friend. I don't really know where he's at. You know, 
he, he'll say he believes in things, but when, I, when, I, when he talks, I'm like, yeah, you believe this to some extent, but you've never really called out for that, right? You've never really called out for Jesus and really uh, brought him in and committed to following him. And they know in part there's obstacles. that You have people like that in your lives now. We all do. So I want to look, before I get down and we uh, do some more worship, that last part, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Again, an Old Testament passage, Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, I don't know why he focuses on feet. I know some people dig that. I don't know quite what to think about that. But it's symbolic. I'm, I jest, you know. The mountain and the feet are really important here, and if I had more time to tell you, I could make something up that would sound convincing. But mountains are incredibly important. They're coming down, right? Kind of like Moses came down from the mountain. There's, anyway, you figure, figure that out. Who proclaim peace. Not peace for the world, right? Peace for you. Bring good tidings, good news, the gospel. Who proclaim salvation. Who say to Zion, your God reigns. Paul quoted that in talking about us being sent. This isn't some Old Testament thing that only applied to the Hebrews. He's saying, yeah, remember that? And when they read that, trust and believe, the Jews knew exactly what he was talking about. Like, yeah, that thing in Isaiah, the prophet. They knew, they knew. And you, when you read that first part, that's often been used as a weapon. You need to do this. You must do this. People are depending on you. But what it really means is you have an opportunity to bring good news to people. And you have an opportunity to partake in that beauty. The Lord is beautiful. What he's done for us is beautiful. And when we partner with him, we engage with him in a deeper way. To me, there is no greater joy than seeing God working in somebody else's life and being some little tiny part of it, 1% of it, just being there to see it. There is nothing, nothing better than that. So, the invitation, the word I keep forgetting. Here's what I'd like you to consider, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and then we're going to pray again. Ask God to show you what it means to live your life seeing everyone around you as someone God wants to be in his kingdom, no matter what they look like now, whatever hot mess they got, right? He wants them. He wants them. He's calling to them. And ask God to help you see your part in this plan and how you can do that.